touchdown, Wisconsin, and this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Another frustrating Brewers loss last night. They've been losing with a whimper and not a bang, right? It's one of my favorite expressions. If somebody goes down with a whimper, not a bang, right? They don't they don't go down swinging. The Brewers just kind of laid down and, and just went out with a whimper last night. They lost 3-2. to two. The only two runs they could muster came off a Ben Gamble home run. Ben Gamble's their best hitter right now. Ben Gamble's killing it. Now, that's awesome for Ben Gamble. <laughs> And, and for baseball fans, I don't know if that necessarily means great things for the Brewers and for their offense. And once again last night, not a whole lot of offense. Only two runs, both coming on the swing of one bat. Christian Yelich had another three strikeouts last night. He is um, he's no longer struggling. He is lost. He is broken. He is, he, is, he is done for the time being. Now, he's got the night off tonight. I'll give you the Brewers lineup closer to 6 o'clock. It's basically what we've seen minus Christian Yelich. I, I, I was wondering if, if this was coming, if one of these days they were going to give Christian Yelts the day off. I talked with Dave on the WKTY Morning Show this morning for our uh, for our G-Spot. <laughs> and I said, Dave, I, I don't know how much longer they're going to keep running him out there without giving him a day off. And Craig Council said today that he had a productive conversation with Christian Yelich, and they decided take a night off tonight, at least not in the starting lineup. Maybe they pinch hit him, but I can't imagine why that would be productive. Uh, and Craig Council saying it's it's more of a mental thing right now than than a physical thing with Yelich, and I, I think that much is obvious. You don't have to be a sports psychologist to figure that out. My name is Grant Bills. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show. I hope you're having an excellent night. I'm glad you've chosen uh, chosen to tune in. The Brewers are going to be on WKTY tonight, 6:35 pregame, 7:10 first pitch. I hope this game doesn't take three hours and 45 minutes like it did on Monday night. Last night was a little bit more bearable, but that's because nobody was scoring. 3-2 to two was the final score. The Brewers, like I said, went out with a whimper and, and not a bang. I want to talk about the Packers, and we're actually going to talk college football and high school football today because the Big Ten announced their schedule. We're going to talk about that at 5.30. I want to share with you part of a conversation I had with Holman High School head coach Travis Kowalski about the state of not only football, but fall sports and the state of schools right now as they're supposed to be starting up here in about a month. That's a really interesting conversation, and I picked and choosed just a couple of the best parts. You can find the whole interview at WK2iSports.com, but I want to share with you the best parts. That's coming up at 545. But first, let's start with the Brewers. Let's react to last night. They lost 3-2. to two. They're 3-5, three and five, and they have yet to win their first game at Miller Park. They, for some reason, are scheduled to go back down to Chicago tonight to play the same team they have been playing because Major League Baseball didn't have their brain turned on when they were making the schedules. But whatever, they're in Chicago tonight, so they're going to have to wait a couple of days to win their first game at Miller Park if they can win their first game at Miller Park. Let's start with Brandon Woodruff. He was really, really, really good last night. That was an ace-caliber start, a number-one pitcher-caliber start. And if you only caught a little bit of the game, or maybe you only looked at the stats and the score this morning, you might not think that Brandon Woodruff pitched like an ace last night. You maybe thought it was just a middle-of-the-road average start. He pitched six innings. He gave up two runs. Both came on one swing of the bat, a home run. That was his one mistake. He gave up eight total hits. Three of those were infield hits. So that might appear as though it's a middle-of-the-road start. He had traffic on the base paths all night, right? There were a couple errors early, and then the defense stepped up later. Keston Hira made a really, really good play at second base. 
So if there's one silver lining maybe to the season so far, it's Keston here has been flashing a little leather. I don't know that Keston here's defense is my number one priority right now, but I guess it's a silver lining with the Brewers not being able to win any games. Brandon Woodruff showed again last night that he can get both strikeouts and soft contact. Not two things that typically come in one package with one pitcher. Typically, it's either or. You're either a strikeout pitcher or a ground ball pitcher. Josh Hader, perfect example. Strikes a lot of guys out. But on the occasion that a hitter makes contact with Josh Hader, it's typically going a ways. It's a fly ball, maybe close to the wall, or maybe a home run. Josh Hader likes to give up home runs when he's not giving up strikeouts. Brandon Woodruff, on the other hand, can pitch to get a strikeout or pitch to get a ground ball. Soft contact, which is a really, really good combination. Here's the breakdown last night, and here's why Brandon Woodruff's start is very impressive, and it's an ace caliber start, regardless of whether the Brewers won or not and and whether he pitched seven shutout innings or not. Brandon Woodruff pitched through six full innings last night. That means he recorded 18 total outs. Here's the breakdown. He struck out six, but there was also an out that was recorded as a foul out to the catcher, which I'm, for the sake of this argument, going to count as a strikeout. So let's say seven strikeouts. Seven of 18 total outs were strikeouts. Six more of those outs were ground outs, which only leaves room for a couple of more. Two of those were flyouts to the shortstop, so still soft contact. And then there was an Avi Garcia assist. He threw out a runner. There was a flyout and a lineout to the outfield. So 15 of the 18 outs that were recorded while Brandon Woodruff was on the mound last night never left the infield. And three of the eight hits that he gave up were infield hits. So while you might look at his final line and, okay, six innings, two runs, eight hits, all right, it's middle of the road. No, that was a really impressive start last night. Really, really impressive. Think about that. 15 of the 18 outs he recorded never left the infield. They were either strikeouts or a ground ball or a pop out to the shortstop. There were two of those last night. Eight of the hits that he gave up were infield hits. That's ace stuff. He was great. Sometimes there's not a whole lot you can do as a pitcher. It, it depends on where the ball bounces or, or how the defense plays behind you. Brandon Woodruff had a couple errors last night that were surrendered behind him, but he also had a couple of great runs uh, saved by defensive plays. Keston here, most importantly. This is what Craig Council had to say about the ace last night. You know, he got nicked just by, you know, it was like little cuts tonight, really. Um, and, and it forced him to make, you know, to, to work every inning with, you know, making big pitches, I think, um, is what happened. I mean, I, I think they had four infield hits. You know, he, he was really good still, and he was efficient despite those infield hits and despite having to make, um, you know, some big pitches. So, pitched well. As a radio guy, I really like that analogy, right? Brandon Woodruff was was damaged by little cuts, little things here all throughout the game, right? It wasn't one big inning that did him in, although it was one big home run that eventually did him in. He gave up those two runs. And Brandon Woodruff wasn't the losing pitcher last night, right? The go-ahead run was given up later in the game by Devin Williams. But I like that analogy. Little cuts throughout the whole game. It's what a great lineup can do, right? If you have great hitters all throughout the lineup, even if you're not scoring five, six runs in a big inning, you can still put traffic on the base paths, score on an infield hit, right? Move runners over by a fielder's choice, get a sack fly, all those types of things. That's what a great lineup does. A lineup that has great bats top to bottom. So on the, opposite, on the opposite side of that coin, let's talk about the Brewers' offense last night. On Twitter last night and, and in a lot of reading that I did today, everybody was talking about the Brewers pitching when they were breaking down the game. Like, oh, you know, Brewers got to know. Brewers pitching. Devin Williams has got to know you can't throw this pitch to Abreu and you got to be careful when throwing to, I don't know, Eloy. Last night wasn't about pitching. You can, you can break down pitching all you want. Every run, every pitch, every hit, sure, break it down. But let's not act like 
that one mistake pitch to Abreu last night was what did the Brewers in. Last night wasn't about pitching. You need to be able to score more than two runs if you want to win baseball games. Maybe not every night, right? Like Freddie Peralta last year. Remember against the Reds and Castillo, he went like eight shutout innings, and that's really the last time he looked good on the mound, and we still talk about that. Sure, you can win a game every once in a while, one to nothing, when your starting pitcher does that. But night in and night out, and even this year in a shortened season, there's still 60 games. So things are going to average out over the course of that long season. You need to score more than two runs if you want to win games. Brewers last night left six guys on base, one of seven with runners in scoring position. And that's nothing new, right? The Brewers have been allergic to hitting well with runners in scoring position my entire life. Craig Council, in his postgame press conference, talking about the offense, said, you know, we just, we couldn't find that one big hit, that one big inning. The the big hit wasn't there tonight. Um, we put on, you know, runners in, in a bunch of innings. Um, I think we had the three double plays, which obviously rally killers. Um we did. The, we got pressure. They got pressure. They had hits here and there, but they, they couldn't find that one big hit other than the Ben Gamble home run. Once again, Ben Gamble's the best hitter right now the Brewers have, which is great for Ben Gamble, but means it's not mean good things for the for the Brewers offense. Craig Council said they, they were without that one big hit, that one big inning. Well, it's interesting because if you compare that quote from Council to the one earlier about Woodruff, Woodruff was hit through little cuts, little nicks throughout the game because the White Sox lineup has good hitters top to bottom. It's not one meaty part of the order that does all the damage. So you can pack the base pads and you can score here and there that way. The Brewers, man, they might have they might have started the year with three major league level players that are above average. Ryan Braun, Lorenzo Kane, and Christian Yelich. One is opted out, one is hurt, and I think might opt out soon. And the other is what, three for three for thirty-one, three for thirty-three, whatever Christian Yelich is. So they really don't have a lot offensively. Craig Council said we didn't get that big hit. Well, you don't need a big hit to win a game. Sometimes you got to do it by manufacturing runs and, and sack flies, right? Little bloops, little infield hits. The White Sox could do it because they have the, the pieces top to bottom. The Brewers don't. And of course, it didn't help that they had four days off. They had just lost two in a row. I, but the Brewers feel dead. Maybe it's just this very small window from Friday to now. The Brewers feel dead. Feel like they're dragging, like they have no juice. Compare them to the Cubs. I see videos of the Cubs every day doing these little chants, clapping their hands, jumping around in the dugout. I'm not saying the Brewers need to turn into cheerleaders for themselves, but Cubs have energy. Cubs are excited. Brewers aren't. They look dead. And part of that is they just had a weekend off, and it's been an awkward couple of days, and their bench coach just had a heart attack, and Lorenzo Cain, their leader, their center fielder, just opted out. There's a lot going on. I'm not denying that, but they don't look like they're having fun playing baseball. Now, they get a win tonight, and tomorrow... They're back at 500, and obviously winning makes a lot of things better. The energy and the juice would probably improve. But I got to remind myself, none of these players know each other. They completely flipped the roster over the offseason. Spring training was cut short. Sure, they did things over Zoom, and they had like two weeks to ramp up as a, as a part of spring training 2.0, which is really summer training. But these guys don't know each other. Jed Jerko, Justin Smoke, they don't know Keston here. They just got here. Sure, Ben Gamble maybe knows Brandon Woodruff, but, but this isn't a cohesive group. They haven't been together for more than a couple of weeks. And I think that's really hurting them this season. Short camp, everything's going on on video conference. They're only playing 60 games in the first place. I, I think that hurts them this year. Continuity is an advantage for teams in 2020, like the Cubs, even though they switch managers. A lot of continuity. Everybody knows each other. Brewers, not so much. And I, th- I think that hurts them. When we come back, I want to talk about the Packers. Uh, Devontae Adams spoke with the media yesterday, and it got me thinking about a couple of things. So I want to talk about the Packers offense 
the quarterback and the wide receiver position a little bit. Once again, we're going to talk college football, high school football, all before 6 o'clock as well. Stay right here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Graham Bills. Thanks for tuning in. A uh, quick update. The NBA scoreboard. Uh, the 76ers were on upset alert against the Wizards. Now there's three minutes left, and it's a seven-point game. Sixers are up seven, so it looks like the Sixers are going to win, but it was close for a while. Look, I, everybody wanted to laugh at the Bucks yesterday, even though they they played their, not just their bench, but their bench's bench. They played their G League team and lost to the Nets. Meanwhile, the Clippers at full strength lose to the Suns, and the 76ers at full strength are messing around with the Wizards. But no, that's my bad. Let's hate on the Bucks. Let's all actively hate on the Bucks, who haven't been good since the 80s and haven't won a championship since 1971. No, I, I get it. Let's hate on the Bucks. I, I talked about this with Dave this morning on the WKTY Morning Show. I don't get it. I don't get why people are actively looking to tear down Giannis and the Bucks in NBA fandom. It's beside me, but whatever. If the 76ers end up losing, I'll bring it back up later on in the show because we're going to have some laughs at them for sure. In the meantime, I want to talk about the Packers. We're going to talk Badgers football coming up, high school football coming up. But first, I want to start with the Packers. It is training camp time. So that means there's a lot of press conferences. And, and press conferences aren't my favorite, but they're a big part of training camp. And they're a little bit more interesting this year, given the fact that they're dealing with COVID and everything is socially distant. So I, I'm genuinely curious to, to hear the players' opinions and, and to hear stories of how this is actually going. In a normal year, I, I don't really care what, I don't know, TJ, TJ Lang or Corey Lindsley did over the summer. I, I, don't, I don't care. Like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make that press conference a part of my show. But this year is a little bit different. Devontae Adams had some comments about the pandemic yesterday and his offseason, and I love it. Most people on social media were loving it. He said he doesn't mind kind of being a hermit, being a recluse. To be real with you, I have no problem with being a hermit, man. <laughs> um, I, I mean, aside from the the COVID and all that, like that that takes it to a new level, obviously. It makes you uh think three times rather than twice about whether whether or not you should go do whatever, but at the end of the day, I don't do much, man. I'm a simple man. I work out. I, I live and breathe wide out play. And I love my family. I got my daughter there. And, you know, with COVID and everything, um, obviously, I, I mean, I, I left my house maybe 10 times this offseason for something unrelated to getting food. I, I like that take. I don't mind being a hermit. I, I'm I'm coming to terms with it as well, right? We've gone through stages and, 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 and different mindsets since we've locked down in, in March. Right. It, at first, we it was kind of novel. It was interesting. Then we went a little stir crazy, and then and then everything went back to normal. And then we went back into hiding a little bit when the numbers spiked in Lacrosse County. And and now I'm not sure what we're doing. But I've really starting to enjoy waking up, coming to work, going home, and that's it. And it's a built-in excuse to avoid just about anybody. Right? Hey, Grant, you want to do something Friday? Man, I I don't know. I got got to see my got to see my family this weekend. Don't want to get them sick. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay home. And of course. I mean that seriously. Like, I don't want to get my family sick. I don't want to get anybody sick. But it is a nice little built-in excuse. You don't have to think of another excuse. You just say, ah, COVID, can't do anything. I like it as well. I'm with Devontae Adams. He continues to say, look, I have everything I need in my house, which is the luxury of, of being a millionaire football player. But Devontae Adams said, yeah, I got everything I need at home. Tom, I got a beautiful house in California, so I was able to do my chipping, get my golf in at home. I got a basketball court, so... You know, not to flex on anybody, but I, there's, there's not much that I needed to leave the house for. So, you know, I got my, my Xbox there so I can kind of get it in and, and just do me at my house and, um, you know, work out, do all that stuff and everything, anything I need to leave the house for that I absolutely need to. But being in Green Bay, I mean, it's a beautiful city, but 
um, there's not a whole lot out there that's going to drive me outside to put my family at risk at this point. So um, hermit it is. Hermit it is. I liked, I, I really like that take, that, that mentality for Devontae Adams. It bodes well for him staying COVID-free this season and, and being able to perform and, and play for the Packers week in and week out if this season is, is able to happen. I feel a lot better about this season being able to happen hearing what Devontae Adams has to say, and, and I hope that a majority, if not all NFL players, feel the same way about kind of being a hermit and, and taking care of business and doing what needs to be done to play football because, after all, that is their job, right? And And playing professional sports is different than being a nurse or being a salesperson or being a radio host. They play by different rules. So if the season gets shut down, I'm not going to be like, hey, it's your job. Show up to work. We all have to. Okay, it's different. But, I mean, it is it is their job to play professional football. And it is my opinion, maybe you don't agree, that they should do everything in their power, even if it means staying at home and not seeing anybody for a couple of weeks. That's what they should do to be able to do their job, to go to work, which for Devontae Adams is playing football. I, I love every part of that answer. At the end, he's like, hey, look, I love Green Bay. It's a beautiful town, but I mean, I, I'm going to stay inside. There's really nothing I have to leave for. I think start to finish, Devontae Adams' availability yesterday was a reminder of how lucky we are to have him on our team in comparison to a guy like Antonio Brown. Packers are actually the odds-on favorites to sign Antonio Brown in 2021. I was looking at this list yesterday, or 2020. Uh, the Packers are 2-1 to one favorites. Seattle 5-2, to two, Tampa 3-1, to one, Baltimore 4-1. to one. And then it really drops off. Philly at 15 to 2, Indy at 10 to 1. Can you imagine bringing in Antonio Brown right now? He's the kind of dude who would go off the reservation, get COVID, bring it back, and get everyone sick. Screw up the team, screw up the season. Heck no. I'll stick with Devontae Adams. It's fine. That that answer and, and that conversation with, with Adams, just a reminder of, of how lucky we are. I want to talk about the Packers today. I, I'm not really sure about what I want to discuss specifically about the Packers. Do we want to do the Rodgers, like Jordan Love thing? I, I don't want to break down every word that Matt LaFleur says in a press conference. I, I don't want to break down what Aaron Rodgers said on Kyle Brandt's podcast. It's it's not that interesting. They're going to go into the season. Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, and we'll see how it develops. That's that's all I really care to say about that right now. I, I'm down to talk about wide receivers, though. Since we're already talking about Antonio Brown and, and Devontae Adams, let's talk about the wide receivers. The wide receiver thing is has exhausted me a little bit over the last few months. It's not something we've spent a ton of time on. I think everybody wishes the Packers wide receiving core was a little bit better, maybe a little bit deeper, a little bit more talent or, or or first, second, third round talent. But this is the group they have, right? Adams, Lazard, Valdez-Scantling, St. Brown, and Kumaro. That's what they got. We got to figure out that puzzle as Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers do as well. How is that going to work? But the wide receiver thing, I think, has been overblown the last couple of months. I was watching Cowherd last week. I enjoy Colin Cowherd. That doesn't mean I agree with everything he says. But he made this comment in in one of his segments where he's like, you know what? I think Aaron Rodgers would have been okay with the Jordan Love pick had the Packers maybe taken a wide receiver in the second round, right? Then it, then it all would have been okay. It's like, are, are we all going crazy? Are we forgetting how a draft works, right? If you're picking 27th, for example, that means 26 teams get to pick in front of you. Doesn't necessarily mean you get your pick of the litter. You don't get the exact player at the exact position you want. It's not how a draft works. And when you say, well, they... Sh- it's okay, they can draft Jordan Love in the first round, but you got to take a wide receiver in the second round. Well, what if there's no wide receivers available in the second round? They had to wait until the end of the second round to pick. That doesn't mean they, they could take whoever they want, whatever position they want. Seven wide receivers came off the board in the second round before the Packers picked at pick number 62, which is where they took the running back out of Boston College, A.J. Dillon. Seven wide receivers came off the board between the start of the first round and where the Packers selected. After the Packers picked, Another 
19 picks went by before another wide receiver was taken. The next wide receiver that was drafted after the Packers, who picked at 61, that wide receiver was selected at 81 by the Raiders. 19 spots later. In other words, 18 other teams agreed after the Packers that mm, no wide receiver is worth this pick right now. What did you want the Packers to do? Reach for a wide receiver that's not that good instead of drafting a running back who's hopefully going to be great? It's not how draft works. You never reach for a need. I think that's fairly common sense among football people. And that's why it drives me crazy to hear people break down the Packers draft the way that they do. Well, okay, take Jordan Love, but then you got to take a receiver. Okay, who did you want him to take? At what pick? Because it's not that simple. It's just, well, then take a wide receiver in the second round. It's not that simple. The current wide receiving core the Packers have, Devontae Adams, who's a second round pick, Lazard, who's an undrafted free agent, Valdez Scantling, who's a fifth round pick, St. Brown, who's a sixth round pick, and Kumaro, who's also an undrafted free agent. That's the order, the hierarchy that I see as of right now. It could change, but as of right now, it goes Adams one, Lazard two, Valdez Scantling three, just because he didn't miss last year with an injury, St. Brown behind him, and then Kumaro at the bottom. I think he's their depth piece. Today, I'm like, you know what? I, I want to compare this current wide receiving core two years past, because we really, we what we do is we view teams in a bubble, in a vacuum. We look at this Packers team and we're like, these wide receivers suck. Well, do they? Or do we just think that? Let's compare these wide receivers to past years and and maybe get some good perspective because we really get zeroed in. We get, we get blinders on, right? Tunnel vision. We're like, man, this wide receiving core isn't any good. They should have drafted someone. Well, let's compare it. The Packers have been to the NFC Championship twice in the last decade, not counting last year. And not counting the Super Bowl, I guess, decade. So in the last six years, they've been twice other than last year. 2014 and 2016. In 2014, this is the way their wide receiving core shook out. Jordy Nelson, number one, who's a second-round pick. Cobb, second, who's a second-round pick. And then it, it drops off pretty quickly. Jarrett Boykin, who's an undrafted free agent. Jeff Janis, who not only was an undrafted free agent, but was a rookie at the time. And then Devonta Adams, who, yeah, was a second-rounder, but was a rookie and really only contributed in a meaningful way in two games. So the wide receiving core in 2014 was a second-rounder, a second-rounder, and then rookies and undrafted free agents. It's not that much better than what they have now. Adams is that second-round pick who steps into that Jordy Nelson role. But I think Alan Lazard can actually be very similar to Randall Cobb, playing in the slot, being valuable on third down, running slants. I think he might even, he could be better because he's bigger. You can do more things with him. Now he's got a long ways to go before he reaches Randall Cobb, but he could shape up that way. And then who would you rather have? Valdez Scantling or Jeff Janis? I'd take Scantling. Okay. Advantage 2020. Would you rather have a rookie Devontae Adams or Equinemius St. Brown? That one's a little bit more interesting. I'd rather have a guy who's played in the NFL before, before a rookie, but that might be more of a toss-up. But you get my point? The 2020 wide receiving group is not that dissimilar from 2014 when the Packers were one game from the Super Bowl. They were a fourth-string tight end mess-up away from being in the Super Bowl. What about 2016? when they made the NFC Championship game. Jordy Nelson was your number one. Devontae Adams, at this point, had two years in the league. He was second. Then Randall Cobb, second-round pick. Trevor Davis, who was a sixth-round pick. And then you had a bunch of nobodies. Jeff Janis, Geronimo Allison, and Max McCaffrey, who were all undrafted free agents. Now, I understand that they had three second-round picks leading that group, but it's not totally unbelievable to think that by the end of the year, Alan Lazard could play like a second rounder and one of MVS or Equinemius St. Brown could as well. We're really not that far off this year than in years past. Now, all of these groups are a far cry from what they had in 2010, 2011, but that's an outlier. 
That's why I didn't use that as an example. That's that's an outlier. That's an exception. Now, the 2020 wide receiving core does lack that one other high-round pick other than Devontae Adams, but MVS or EQ could certainly play like a top-round pick. I think the responsibility is now on Aaron Rodgers to make this work with what he has. And that might sound unfair. It might seem like too much to ask of Aaron Rodgers. But I don't, I don't, I don't think so. He can do his improv thing with Devontae Adams, and he can do the little wink and nod, back shoulder timing routes with Devontae Adams, sure. But with the other wide receivers, it's his responsibility to not overcomplicate things and make life a little bit easier on those guys. A perfect example from last year is Alan Lazard on third down. Aaron Rodgers did a great job of simplifying things with Lazard. So much so that Alan Lazard was the fourth highest rated wide receiver when targeted on third down last year. Minimum 15 targets. Pro Football Focus actually tweeted this out yesterday. I bookmarked it because I was like, this is a good bit of evidence. Aaron Rodgers can do all the fancy wink and an odd timing back shoulder things he wants with Devontae Adams. But after that, he's got to throw to Lazard and St. Brown and Valdez Scantling. He's got to play with those guys a little bit differently. He did so with Alan Lazard last year, especially on third down. Just run a slant. I'll put it on the money. You run a great route and I'll meet you there. Boom. Simple as that. If Rodgers can do that with Lazard and MVS and... EQ, at least at the beginning, they'll be pretty damn good. And by the end of the year, maybe they can sprinkle in some some back shoulder stuff, some timing things as that chemistry builds. This wide receiving core is not as miserable as people want to make it sound. Now, Aaron Rodgers is going to have to pick up a little bit of the load, but a lot of people think he's one of the greatest of all time. I think he's capable. I think he can handle it. Coming up next, let's talk about college football. Let's talk about the Badgers. Big Ten put out their schedule today. Now, I'm, I'm not 100% sure the college football is going to happen, but Getting a schedule is the first step, right? Let's talk about that coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show, rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Keystroker Grant. We're going to hear from Holman football coach Travis Kowalski coming up in about 10, 15 minutes. I talked with him last week. Get his thoughts. I mean, not only as a football coach, but as an educator and someone who's worked in a school for years and years and years. I just wanted his opinion on the fall sports season, what football may or may not look like, and and what advice he's giving his kids. I, I thought he gave some incredible perspective. I want to share with you some of the highlights of that interview coming up in about 10 or 15 minutes. You can find the whole interview at WK2iSports.com. Just click on podcasts. It'll be under Wisco Sports Show. The whole thing, I think, is about a half hour long. So pretty quick listen. A few weeks ago, I think we all consider college football to be dead. I don't I don't think that I thought it had a chance. I think we all thought it was dead in the water. Now, it's still far from a sure thing, but maybe. Might be a chance, right? The, the wheels are turning at least in the right direction. I, I saw earlier this week that the governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, pulled an interesting strategy. They issued a statewide mask mandate in Mississippi, and this was the reasoning. This was the quote. I want to see college football. This is from the governor. I want to see college football. The best way for that to occur is for all of us to realize that wearing a mask, as irritating as that can be, and I promise I hate it more than anyone, is critical. So the Mississippi governor is like, all right, fine. I'll put a mask mask mandate forward because I want college football, which is actually a little bit twisted and messed up that he's doing it for the sake of college football and maybe not the sake of 150,000 dead in our country, but whatever, that's not what we're talking about. What I am saying is that everybody, even conservative leaders who hate the idea of a mask, are, are moving things in the right direction to hopefully allow for college football this fall. Hopefully. Now, 
It's anything but a sure thing. But you know the first step to anything is getting a date on the calendar. And the Big Ten did that. We now have a schedule. Like, the, we figure out the details, right? But we got to get a date on the calendar. If you're planning a vacation, you figure out the details later, who's driving, what car you're taking. Just get a date on the calendar so you don't keep pushing it back and back. Otherwise, you procrastinate it and it never happens. It's the same thing with playing live music. I remember when I was in my first band, would have been my sophomore year in high school, which should have been like, I don't know, 2013 maybe. And before we'd ever played a gig, I came to school one day and, and our guitarist came up to me. He's like, hey man, we got a gig. And at this, it was like March or whatever at the time. He's like, we got a gig, November 10th. And I was like, man, we know like two songs. He's like, yep. And we got all summer to figure it out. <laughs> well, now we have to. Now we need to learn songs. Now we need to put a set list together and we need to practice. The first step to anything is setting up a date. And then you can figure things out from there. College football in the Big Ten now has a schedule. Now, I don't know if it'll get played, but this is the first step. Putting a date on the calendar. Every Big Ten team in this conference schedule has two bye weeks in an effort to leave some wiggle room in case there's some cancellations or they need to shift things around, which I think is really smart. I mean, I, I think it was common sense, and I think it would be dumb not to put a schedule forward with an extra bye week stuck here or there. But at least the Big Ten taking the proper precautions, at least schedule-wise, to allow for some possible cancellations or infections. Major League Baseball has shown that that is a necessary precaution that needs to be made. This is how it works. Eight games for every Big Ten team. Six of those games are the opponents from the division. So in the case of the Badgers, six of their games will be Purdue, Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois. The other two games in the schedule are two random teams from the Eastern Division. You know, Indiana, Maryland, uh, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, Rutgers, right? So it's six. Everybody plays the same six games in the, in the, the Western Division, the Badgers Division. And then it's kind of luck of the draw which those other two games are from the Western Division. Now, comparatively, Wisconsin got lucky because their two uh, matchups from teams in the West are Rutgers and Michigan. Now, Michigan's a good team, but they're no Ohio State, right? They're, they might not even be Penn State. And I know Penn State had a really good linebacker opt out, and we'll know more detail about you know who's playing who and who's actually going to be playing, which players are playing in the coming weeks. But the Badgers' schedule goes as such... Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota, Maryland, Purdue, bye week. Illinois, Michigan, bye week. Iowa, Rutgers. That's their schedule, okay? Eight games. I don't know how I feel about the season actually getting played. I, I can see it going either way. But I'm willing, mentally, to accept this season as a possibility if the coaches and players are willing to give this a try, right? I'm not on the front lines. I'm not going to yell that college football needs to be played and that these kids need to get out there because remember, they're not getting paid. They're getting an education. But what is an education right now? We're all going to school online. I'm taking an online class right now at UWL. I, It's not the same, right? You can try your best, but you're not having the face-to-face -face instruction and you're not hearing stories and examples and evidence directly from your professor. You're not able to collaborate with your peers these students are, are, are coming out a little bit behind in this exchange. And if they go to play football for their school, they need to be willing to accept that risk before I start banging the desk and saying college football needs to happen. It's not up to me. I want to hear it from the players and the coaches. Schools are in a little bit of a different position because schools need the money. I don't know if you saw today, our good friend Zach Heilprin from The Zone tweeted out the, uh, the press release from the University of Wisconsin. They have options for, for season tickets now, for season ticket owners. There's a couple options. Option number three is request a refund and it'll get to you in six to eight weeks. Option number two is move your season tickets to 2021. 
And option number one, which is the one that they're really pushing people towards, is the Badger Legacy Campaign, where you donate your 2020 season investment. Now, you get what's called donor rank priority points, which I don't know anything about because I'm not a donor. I'm a donor to my own charity fund, which is ramen. Uh, 100% tax-deductible donation, recognition on a donor wall of honor at Camp Randall, personalized Badger Legacy certificate, invite to the 2020 Badger Legacy event, and Badger Legacy commemorative coin. That's what you get if you donate your season ticket investment this year. Wisconsin's behind the eight ball. They're going to lose a lot of money this year. A lot of money. Wisconsin, actually, Brett McMurphy reported it today. He reported that Wisconsin is facing a revenue shortfall bigger than $100 million. This is why they're pushing this campaign, right? The schools need to get football played as much as it is possible and feasible because they're behind on money. And these schools already lost out on March Madness money, which is a huge money maker. Not as much as football, but right behind. College players are, are meanwhile, they're, they're almost unionizing in a way. Now, this started in the Pac-12, but now it's going on in the Big Ten, too. Through the Players' Tribune today, the players of the Big Ten announced their unity proposal, which is not necessarily their demands, but things they're requesting as part of an agreement to play fall football uh, in the Big Ten and in, in the NCAA. There's a bunch of bullet points. I, I don't need to... I don't need to share them all. Oversight and transparency, which means they need need to be honest with the athletes, right? They need penalties for noncompliance, a mandate for athletics personnel to report suspected violations. Uh, they want contract uh, contact tracing, rather, testing, procedures. They want all this laid out, prevention and safety protocols, right? Adherence to WHO and CDC guidelines for sporting events, all that. It's a very well thought out and succinct list, which is really good to see because players can complain that they're not safe and that they're not being treated fairly, or they can specifically say what it is that they want. And I think the athletes in this case did a really good job. Once again, that's in the Players' Tribune if you want to read it in detail. We're running a couple of minutes behind, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to share every detail with you. You can go check it out. I think they did a really good job. I think it's very realistic, and, and the players were proactive in releasing and announcing these demands and specific things that they want, rather than saying, man, we're colleges are taking advantage of us, right? They're ripping us off. Well... Okay, then what do you want in return? They did a good job mentioning that and, and publicizing that today. This is what it's going to take sports, or excuse me, this is what's going to be necessary to play sports right now. Resources and money. I asked Zach Heilprin two weeks ago when the Big Ten first announced they were going to a conference-only schedule, which the schedule of that schedule was announced today. And I asked Zach, I was like, do these schools have the resources and the money necessary to carry on a season this year, and we'll end this segment with Zach's answer. This does a pretty good job of, of summarizing the investment Wisconsin is willing to make in order to play sports this fall. Wisconsin is, yeah. Okay. I, mean, I, I saw one report. I don't remember exactly what university it was. Um, it was not, it was, I think it was a Power 5 school, but it was like $100,000 that they had pumped into testing. Uh, and, you know, just in these last, uh, not in this last, it might have been in the last month. Okay. Uh, to to do that, and Wisconsin, you know, certainly they are financially able and financially in a position to do that. You would not think that would be the case that perhaps a Group of Five school, uh, the MAC specifically, is losing out on millions of not playing these games. Um, but yeah, Wisconsin certainly, I yes. But but here's the thing, and maybe it's been approved in Wisconsin. Though I think anybody that's going to try and get a, a coronavirus test in the lines that it, it, at least in Madison. Mm -hmm. lines, uh, the, the length of the lines to do it is, uh, you know, 
are, are there enough testing tests available? And I think Florida could run into a significant issue with their schools in not taking, you know, supplies away from the general public just to test guys that have no symptoms. Zach Heilprin doing a pretty good job of laying out those details. These schools are ready to pony up and pay money to get sports played because they need the money in return. TV contracts and fans aren't going to be in the stands, right? That's why they're they're encouraging fans as part of their legacy campaign to donate their season tickets rather than request a refund. They're strapped for cash, so they're willing to put an investment in to make this happen. Colleges and universities have the resources and and the the, the finances to make this happen. High schools certainly don't. And last week I talked with Holman head coach Travis Kowalski. I want to share with you some of the most interesting parts of that conversation coming up next as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. Hope you're having a great night. We've covered a lot of good ground today between the Packers, the Brewers, the Badgers. You can find today's podcast and all of the Wisco Sports Show podcast at WKTYsports.com. Now, I want to share with you a couple little bits from one of the podcasts that you can find at WKTYsports.com. Last week, I had a long conversation with Holman head coach Travis Kowalski about the state of high school football and the, the grim reality, I mean, to put it bluntly, that these kids are facing right now. It doesn't look like they're going to be able to compete, at least in Lacrosse County. Now, an interesting wrinkle and an interesting development since this interview is that it sounds like the Lacrosse County Health Department is doing away with the COVID compass, which th- this this whole thing was based on the color of the COVID compass. Now they're going to roll out something new this week, some new strategy. You can find the latest at wisdomnews.com. It's a little bit above my pay grade, but I will share the details when we get them and, and how it affects sports. I, I first asked him because it's looking like a long shot that they're going to play. I said, what did you tell your kids? What did you tell their parents? How did you break this news or, or, or more so break the, the harsh reality of this upcoming season? What did you tell your players? I'm not an optimist and I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. So I just talk, talk what I know with the basic situation you're in and try not to speculate too much in the future um, and maybe take a little bit of the past and apply it to, you know, what you know to help you make decisions going forward. And yeah. um, if what we know is, is what's current right now, it's, it's going to be pretty tough to move out of, of red, um, based on the COVID compass and the the guidelines that the county set up for us. And that's what I told the parents last night and the players. I just said, guys, listen, we have to be in green to play a football game in Lacrosse County. Um, well, other counties have different rules, maybe, um, but we know what we know and we can't change those rules. So unless things drastically turn here, um, it's going to be a struggle for us to get a chance at a game. Um, you know, And realistically-wise, going from red, which we're in right now, mm-hmm. to green, by September 7th is, in my opinion, absolutely unattainable. Um, now, could we be in orange and be allowed to practice? Sure. But if we're in red, we can't practice. We can't play. And if we're in orange, we can practice, but the practices are so restricted that it's not going to look like football in any sense. Um, it's basically going to get a chance for us to get together with players. Um, if we get to yellow, we can start to resemble practices a little bit more. Um, and start getting back to things like we want to. And obviously in green, it's full go. So it's just not a reality right now. And I've, I've talked to the parents about that. And, you know, I had a conversation with the players, prepare yourself mentally for the worst, hope for the best. Um, because as we saw in the spring, everything got drug out by the WIAA. And uh, it, it was too bad that that happened because, um, you know, they talk about anxiety and depression being leading causes right now in, in our our high school age kids. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, that's a study that WIA did. And, and what's, what causes anxiety is not knowing something. Um, 
So, you know, I think that we need to be real with these kids. And I think as a, as a county and as a conference for the NBC, we need to look forward and give these kids the opportunity to maybe take a shot at things. But once we realize it's not going to go for 100%, we shut things down. Kind of a bleak outcome. And throughout this entire interview, once again, it's available at WK2iSports.com. Coach Kowalski expressed a lot of frustration with the WIAA and their hesitance to just make a decision. Now, the Minnesota high school entity, which name escapes me, I can't remember if it's the high school league or whatever it's called over there. Now, they made their decision earlier this week, right? They made their decision. The WIAA has, has really yet to do that. Um, talking about possibly moving it to spring, I said, like, look, can you actually move football to spring? And, and how is the decision-making process going to work? And, and he talked about, once again, the WIAA and his response. It can't happen without the WIAA. Yeah. Um, and to say that I'm a little bit disappointed with the WIA would probably be an understatement because they're supposed to be our, our guiding force in all of this. And um, I, I feel like nobody wants to make a decision because nobody wants to be wrong. Sure. And when, when you're a leader and you're trying to be um, the head of something, you understand that you're going to make decisions and sometimes they won't go right, but you either learn, you, you know, you learn from the first start. Um, and then you, you, you gotta be able to weather the storm when you make that decision. I, I'm putting that position all the time as a teacher and a coach. I mean, people are done that all the time. Um, and, and you gotta be willing to, to make a decision good or bad. You gotta be able to make a decision and nobody wants to make a decision. And I think bumping back the season till September 7th probably costs a lot of the Northern Wisconsin teams, the opportunity to play any football games. Mm-hmm. Um, cause a lot of them are not in the same kind of code that we're in and they probably would have played two three, maybe four games before COVID probably would start to spread around in their schools and communities a little bit. Um, down here in lacrosse, uh, Madison, green Bay, Milwaukee, it's just not going to happen. NBC could move football to the spring. You're going to overlap baseball track, you know, any other sports that are in the spring, you would overlap them for boys sports. And now you're putting kids in a really bad spot because now they're going to be asked to choose sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, our school is really tight knit. Our coaching group is really, really good guys. Um, we, we stick together pretty tight. We believe in weightlifting. We do a lot of stuff together and I don't want to go drive a wedge in my community to have seven games of football and, and destroy your program for the future. Um, and I told that to the parents last night, if that was something that was an option where we'd move football to the spring and the rest of the state wouldn't do it and we could get seven games out of it, I would not be in favor of that in any sense um, because it doesn't help our school district. It's a one-time thing. And, and I think that it's going to cause more problems than good in the community. Coach Kowalski really brought an unselfish perspective. I think he, he very much so is, is focused on the kids and their development uh, more so than at least a couple of months in, in his football program. Lastly, I asked, what advice are you giving your kids? Because I know they're not playing in games, but if you if you think about why high school sports are great, it's a chance to compete, physical fitness, you get uh, organized social time, right? What advice are you giving your kids in the meantime when they're without all of those great advantages that high school sports provide? That's where the years of training come in, you know what I mean, that, that the kids have been around us for and those kids that are new and young, it, it, it becomes a, a problem, I'm not going to lie. Um, because as people do less, it gives you less motivation to do things. You know, you kind of get stuck in that routine and that rut of, of not doing anything. I told my kids when, when we found out kind of how things were going, I mean, even in March, get up at the same time in the morning, I still get up at 5.30 a.m. every single day. It's just like I would be going into school to go in the weight room. I, I haven't changed that yet. Um, I still go to bed early at night, and I, you just try to keep yourself in a routine because if you don't keep yourself in a routine – your body gets all out of whack. Eat at the same time. You know what I mean? Do everything at the same time as much as you can and keep your body in a routine. Problem is, is now these kids have a lot of them have broken routines 
you know, they're staying up till 2 a.m. and and uh, sleeping in until noon and playing a lot of video games and not going out and doing a lot of things. And that, that's how you get caught in that cycle of stuff because your mind is not focused on what it needs to be focused on. And you know, we, we do a lot of stuff with mental preparation at home and there's tons of it. We do tons of character building. We've sent out a lot of videos, um, just a, just short videos, just things to try and keep people on the right track. And you know, parents even respond back half the you know, vacations and people in the stores. Like, I mean, that's, everything is restricted so bad. Um, and I understand why, but it, it starts to, to make and have an effect on people, especially if you're not mentally prepared for it. That's Coach Travis Kowalski. Uh, sorry about a little bit of breaking up here and there on our Zoom call, but, I mean, that's life in 2020, and, and maybe that's just, you know, that backwoods Holman Wi-Fi. No! <laughs> sorry, I love, I love Holman. I'm, I'm just kidding. The Wi-Fi is actually great at Holman. We broadcast a lot from uh, from the beautiful football field that might be one of the coolest places to call a game. Uh, that that Holman complex right next to the high school. Uh, you talk about Sparta Wi-Fi. Okay, well, then we'll have a conversation. But love everybody in Holman, and I, I hope that we get fall sports in some form or fashion. But football ain't looking good. It's looking like an almost impossibility at this point. Once again, you can check out that whole interview with Coach Travis Kowalski. Even if you're not a fan of high school football and you don't care, uh, it's a really... It's a really interesting interview because you hear from a coach's perspective and a teacher's perspective the impact that this whole year has had on students. And he also shares some of his thoughts on the best way to proceed forward or what he believes to be the best way to proceed forward. And I think voices like his, coach, teacher, those are the voices we should elevate in times like this, not politicians necessarily or not the endless number of people with nothing better to do than than comment all day on Facebook. So I, I, I think it's worth your time. Go check it out at WKTYsports.com. 35 minutes from now, Brewers pregame will get started here on WKTY. 7-10 first pitch, Adrian Hauser on the mound. Uh, with Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, and Lorenzo Kane all out, I'd share with you the lineup. I'll just go ahead and save us all some time and say that it sucks. But knowing baseball and knowing the Brewers, they'll probably score seven runs tonight anyway. So enjoy the game. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You're on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then. Mm-hmm.